Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So we are starting our next adult Sunday school class for the next 13 weeks. Uh, We are following Bryce's plan uh, for each quarter having a theme, and uh, this quarter's theme is the gospel. Uh, We recently had a class on the gospel that uh, Caleb Patton uh, taught on, so um, when I was given the object to teach on the gospel, I said, well, I'm not going to do the same thing Caleb, Caleb did, so I'm going to teach on a book that has gospel in the name. So I took a little bit of freedom there. So gospel is part of it. So, uh, but this isn't going to be one of those um, classes where what, what is the gospel and how do we share it and those types of things. That'll come up a little bit, but it, it's going to take a little different um, uh, turn, I guess. So the book I'm, I'm going to be teaching through is called Gospel Treason. It's by uh, Brad Bigney. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Sandlot. I don't know if you've ever watched The Sandlot. It's a fa- funny family movie. It is ideal for this time of year. If you haven't seen it, uh, there's this boy that moves into town. He's about a middle school age boy. Um, he has no idea how to catch a baseball, throw a baseball. Uh, he moves into town with his mom and his stepdad, and he gets connected with these group of boys trying to make friends with them that play baseball all the time in this back in the sandlot, the sandlot where they play baseball. So he makes friends with them, and uh, one day while they're playing baseball, the best baseball player on the team literally knocks the stuffing out of the baseball. He ruins the baseball. This, is, this happens, uh, I think this movie was supposed to take place maybe in the 50s or 60s. These kids didn't have a lot of money for a baseball, so game's ruined. The new kid in town says, hold on, I got something. He goes into home, into his dad's or stepdad's office, and there's a baseball on display up there. So he grabs that baseball, he comes and he brings, oh, they're going to play baseball with this, with this baseball that he has. And uh, eventually some kid hits a home run over the fence into mean Mr. Myrtle's backyard where he has this big, terrible dog called Hercules that is awful, and it's a junkyard, and he protects it, and so uh, super scary, like, oh, great. All the kids look at each other like, oh, now we've done it. We've lost another baseball, and the new kid's like, "Uh, guys, we've got to get that baseball, and uh, the kids are, you know, why, why? It's gone. There's no way we can get it, and he says, well, it was signed by this woman, and they're like, a baseball signed by the woman? He's like, yeah. Babe Ruth, and they're like, what? You have a signed baseball, babe? You let us play with this signed baseball, babe Ruth? So the rest of the movie is all the hijinks and all the fun things of these kids trying to get this baseball out of this junkyard with me and Mr. Myrtle not catching him and the dog that's trying to bite their arms off and all this thing. So uh, come to find out the guy that um, mean Mr. Myrtle actually isn't mean and he actually played with Babe Ruth and all of these things. So they he gives them... I 
I won't ruin the movie. But there, there's all these autographs, right? So the, the point of my story is this. He had an autographed baseball. I have an autographed book by Brad Bigney, right? So it's kind of a big deal. I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Brad Bigney is going to be here in April uh, for a couple's uh, retreat that we're going to be having. He's going to be teaching a marriage conference for us. So if you buy the book, I'm sure he'll sign it, and you can have an autographed copy of Gospel Trees, and like I have an autographed copy. And here's the thing. like It sounds like, oh, great, I've got an autographed copy. He had sent a thing out that said, hey, if you will read this book, this is back in 2013, 2014, something like that. If you'll read this book and give me an Amazon review, I'll send you a copy. So he sent me a copy and it was already signed. So this is an excellent book. Uh, It was published back in 2012, so about 10 years ago. Um, You don't have to get this book for this class. You don't have to get it to read it, to purchase it. You can if you want, that's fine. I'm going to... um, I'm just going to use this as a guide. So I'll be talking about some of the things in the book, other things I'm, I'm going to jump off of that and just use this as a, as a guide for us. So um, if you don't get the book, you don't want to read the book, that's okay. You can come and be prepared and be able to participate 100% without having it or reading it. So disclaimer real quick, um, I am using this book as my guide. So I'm reading the chapter. We're going to follow each chapter the way he has that. Um, I'll do my best to give credit where credit is due uh, whenever I make quotes from the book. Uh, I'll do my best to point out if I'm quoting the book that I've quoted that. If I say something and you hear me say something and that you say, man, that sounds like someone else said that. They did. I, I'll just tell you that. Like, I, I, there's nothing original that, that I, I have. I uh, have been uh, in the circles of Brad Bigney and these other ty- men that write this type of um, literature, this type of genre. I, I've read a lot of these guys. I, I've been immersed in this. There's a lot of things that I say that I've heard from somebody else. I try, I'll give credit where I can remember. Sometimes I've heard it so many times and uh, I can't remember exactly who I heard it from, but uh, I, I just want to be uh, upfront that, that I, I'm not, plagiarism is not what I'm trying to do. And if you hear that, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. So um, I will do my best if you hear that. So let me pray and we'll start. Father God, we do thank you for another great day that we can uh, come together here and we can uh, spend some time talking um, listening, reading a good book here, uh, written by uh, a good pastor and author. Lord, we're thankful for men who have studied your word, who have experience with um, counseling others and experience with a living life and uh, walking with you for a long time and the, the lessons that you've taught them and the ways that they have grown in their sanctification. And then you've gifted them with an ability to write and to speak in a way that is engaging and is helpful. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful for those men and thankful that we can take the truths that they have shared and uh, we can use those. Lord, I pray that as we uh, start this new series, uh, that it will be beneficial to us. Uh, Lord, that it will be a, a way to learn new aspects of things that we already know, but will help to deepen our understanding and help us to have a broader view of how to um, 
share the gospel, know the gospel, understand how the gospel affects all areas of our life. And the Lord, help us to apply those truths. We want to commit this uh, now time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I used to think of uh, the gospel as only for salvation. I, uh, here's what I mean by that. Like, I recognize that the gospel is of utmost importance. I, I mean, if you think about it, it is part of the bedrock of our religion, right? We were created, and then we became separated by sin. Uh, we need a savior. Christ came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He sacrificed that life for us. He died. He rose from the dead and freely offers that salvation to us. You accept Christ as your savior. You're changed. You live for him. I learned that. I believed it. And in my mind, I'm very thankful. Then I think, okay, I put that on the shelf, right? Okay, I was saved. There it is. There's the gospel. I've got it. Good. I'm going to hold on to it. But that actually is one of the things, as I learned, is a very small view of the gospel, of what the gospel is. It is foundational for our faith, and it's foundational for our daily walk. See, Jerry Bridges wrote that concept of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And I, I really had to ponder that idea of preaching the gospel to myself every day. Or, or you know, it, it, some people don't like that term, but I, but I think the idea of having the gospel on our mind and thinking about it and recognizing how does it connect to other aspects of our life besides just our salvation— I think that's what he was getting at. And I think that's what's important. I think that's what we have to do. And I, I, I had to really think about that. I said, why would I, thinking to myself, like, why would I preach something to myself uh, that was already done? You know, it's, I had heard the gospel. I'd responded to it. But what did I need to do with it now, now that it is complete in my life? These are questions I was thinking about and I was processing. Recognize that's a short-sighted small view of the gospel. The gospel is a means of salvation, but it also has to be central in our daily walk. In this book, Pastor Brad Bigney says that idolatry is perhaps the most pervasive theme in the Bible. You know, there are great themes in Scripture. There's the, the grace of God, the, the glory of God. There's the sovereignty of God. You know, we've got the solas over here. You've got the class that we just went through the, uh, that Bryce taught on, on um, the uh, attributes of God, right? That all of those, those things are great and wonderful themes in Scripture. But a theme that doesn't get discussed as much, I think, in our churches today is idols of the heart. You know, this idolatry flies in the face of our Savior and the freedom that he purchased for us on the cross. Now, I, 
I don't have the overhead here, so I'll, you'll just have to uh, believe me when I quote scripture that really is scripture that I'm reading here. So it's uh, Jeremiah, this is probably a, a, pop, or a, a one that you are aware of. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13 says, Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. One of the aspects of living in a Genesis 3 world as believers is that even though we have new life, with new hearts, changed thinking, minds that can uh, understand um, the truth, we still have a sin nature that we have to battle. The aspect of us is always at work to drive a wedge between us and God. Our sin nature, nature pushes and pulls and steers us away from God and towards people and things that are not God. Most of us spend our lives digging these wells we hope will satisfy us or fulfill us or bring us peace or joy. We dig these cisterns to fight anxiety and worry and fear. And sometimes we think about idols of the heart and we think, well, the problem, that's on the outskirts of our lives. But no, this is at the very center of our lives It's at the heart of our hearts. If we're cultivating or even just moving toward idols, that means by definition we are moving away from our Savior and from the gospel. This is our life. We're either following Christ with our hearts, our minds, feelings, intentions, or we aren't. And if we aren't, we have placed something or someone before God And that's that idol worship. Anything that hinders the gospel from being the center of our lives dramatically affects the way we live and it hinders the degree to which we can glorify God. When the gospel loses center stage, our defenses have fallen and we're open and susceptible to all kinds of sicknesses and attacks. This is why Paul stresses the priority of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. He says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, This word idolatry is not something we use in our normal conversations. It's not something that we talk about very often. Maybe when I say this word idolatry, your mind goes to the golden calf in the Old Testament, right? Which was an idol, and that is true, and that's one way to think about it for sure. Maybe you think about the temples in other parts of the world with their stone statues that people bow down to or bring gifts or something in some type of uh, the reverence to this God that they're worshiping. Maybe we think, well, we're part of the New Testament church. We're saved by grace. 
But do you ever think about that for yourself with idols? Do you think that you have idols in your life? If not, then that's where the problem lies. Right there that we have idols and we don't think we have them or we miss them. Biblical counselor and author David Paulison observed, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in scriptures. The relevance of massive chunks of scripture hangs on our understanding of idolatry. So maybe that is hard for you to get your mind around right now. Like, sure, we see idolatry in the Old Testament. We see it in other places. Maybe you say, yeah, I get it. I've, I remember the quote by John Calvin, right, that says the human heart is an idol factory churning out new idols like the conveyor belt in a manufacturing plant rolling out new widgets. We can hear that and we can say that like, okay, I believe that. I, I get it. But in my life, I'm just not seeing it like that. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm fallen. I'm not perfect. I don't always please God. I love the Lord. I try very hard to live for him, but idolatry? I'm not sure that's what I see is what I'm doing. And I can understand that. I have been there. I go back there sometimes. Idols are tricky because they blind us and we can miss them. But let me show you another verse that may help bring this home. In the book of First John, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the last verse. So I know that we are listening, Bryce is preaching through this, chap, this uh, book, right? Uh, but in, at the end of that, in chapter 5, verse 21, there is this sober warning. So there's 105 verses in First John, the very last verse. He says this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how he wraps up the book or the letter. Now, Bryce hasn't gotten there yet in this sermon, so we don't have to do with anything with that until we get there. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He wraps up this book, right, in Keep Yourself From Idols. Gospel treason, or we could even say gospel drift, inevitably leads to idolatry. Now, this happens because we are worshipers by nature. Human beings, mankind, were created by God to be worshipers. You can't divide people into two groups, okay? Uh, The one group that uh, some who are worship, this group, all right, here are the worshipers, here are those that don't worship. No, we're all worshipers. Every person, regardless of religious profession, uh, whether you go to church, whether you don't go to church, saved, unsaved, everyone has worshipped their way through every day of their existence. I would even argue that everything that you say and everything you do is some form of an act of worship. Now, you see, our hearts don't go aimlessly through life here and there. No, our hearts are always drifting away from Christ, away from our Savior, away from our Creator, and into the grip of the created. That last verse in 1 John begs the question we must ask ourselves, has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken a hold of your love, of your trust, of your desires? 
Now we can say, no, I'm saved by Christ and he sits on the throne of my life. He owns the deed to my heart. But sadly, too often, though Christ owns the the property, we live like traitors, giving that ownership to other people and other things. And these other things and people, they ransack the place and they act like they own something that they don't. And we let them. We invite them in. Yes, Christ is the owner, but one day uh, that, that's going to be evident, right? But, but we will, we're prone to opening the door and letting the squatters in. This is why John leaves us with this warning. Keep yourselves from idols. It's something that he knows we are prone to worship. Now, when I say that we are worshipers by nature, I'm not just talking about what we do here on Sunday morning, right? Uh, We come here each week, and we call this worship time, right? We're going to go to worship. We're going to go worship. Um, And that's right. That's true. That's what we are doing. So I'm not saying, like, we need to change the name of that. that We do that. We come, we sing. We uh, hear the word preached. We hear scripture reading. We pray for missionaries, take communion, those types of things. Um, And that is worship. But my premise here is that we aren't only worshiping on a Sunday morning or during some religious activity. That's not the only time we're worshiping. Let me give you an example. It's 4th of July weekend, right? And you're having family, friends, and neighbors over for a cookout, maybe a swim party. And whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, maybe popularity as your God in your life that's what, or maybe popularity has become the God of your life in that moment, and you live for this social acceptance of others. Everything you do, everything you say at this picnic will be an, an attempt to get people to listen to you, get people to laugh at your stories, to have people acknowledge you as a good host, the best host maybe. Maybe you are the, the, a good friend That's what you want them to say. That's what you want them to know, acknowledge. If you feel like those things are accomplished, that you are the center of attention, then the picnic is is a success. But if you aren't in the spotlight, if your friends acknowledge someone else that's funny or had a great picnic, then they become your enemy. That's how you know you've built this idol when you're not getting what you want and things seem to not go so well. You see, we don't often have these full-out thoughts where we're telling ourselves these exact things, right? I want to be liked and I want to be the center of attention. Those type of like saying that sentence to ourselves doesn't often come out that way. We're not really often that transparent with ourselves, but we think and feel these things. This 4th of July picnic that I just talked about has nothing to do with religious activity, but everything to do with worship. You didn't get the kids up and dressed and put on their Sunday clothes and drive to church, but you surely worshiped. If, we're going to be truly, if we are truly going to understand the idols of our heart, we must understand that the gospel is at stake. And if we're going to understand that following idols is drifting away from the gospel, then we must understand that worship is involved there. We must expand our definition of worship to everything we do and everything we say. 
Because if we limit our understanding of worship to just Sunday morning or other religious activities, then we're going to be unaware of all the other times that we do worship. And that leads to worshiping things or people other than Christ. You know, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to start living for the approval and affection of my spouse. That will be the ruling passion starting right now, and I'm going to refuse to find comfort in God, his word, and his promises until I get the approval and affection of the spouse that I crave. No one actually has those like thoughts like that. No one audibly says that, but most people would recognize or admit that to be true in some way at some time. But even so, people will make a definite switch that affects the way they think and the way that they act towards others. Many, many Christians live this way without even knowing it. They experience the anxiety or the chaos, and and they're miserable. They see the misery this leads to, but they're deceived. Part of the reason this daily battle is so difficult is that we miss and don't recognize the idolatry that we've bought into. And I'm sure that you are like me and have been there and have experienced this. You know, it's just so hard. Life is hard. Things are hard. This relationship is hard. Work is hard. You feel despondent and terrible. So you start praying, usually complaining. But when things don't change, you start doubting, does, does God even hear me? Does he even care? Or can he even really do anything about it? Day after day, or sleepless nights, hard times after hard times, and no matter what you do, it doesn't get better. God isn't helping me get what I want. Why is that? Well, praise God, thankfully, he sees perfectly. We don't see that what we're asking for is an idol or to fulfill an idol. But God does. God sees that we have this gospel drift and have shifted towards something other than him. God is a jealous God and he will not share his glory. He knows your heart and he's not going to help you get the glory of another. And we miss this stuff all the time. Do you know what, um, what are they, uh, smelling salts? Do you know what smelling salts are? Have you heard of those? Right? Have you ever seen somebody use those or, or been around someone with it where they need them? Uh, I, I did once. I can, I can remember it was at work and we had somebody with this medical issue. I came upon it like it had already happened. They were on the ground and, and we had a physician on site and, uh, you know, he broke the, the thing open and, you know, shakes it and puts it under there and the person wakes up and, and then they go and took them to the, to the hospital. And so then I was kind of tasked with cleaning up because they had dropped some things and knocked some things over. So I'm kind of picking that up and I, I see the smelling salt. I didn't, I, that was the first time I'd seen someone use that. And I uh, was wondering, like, why, is that, why does that work? You know, what, what's happened? So I did it, and I, I smelled it. It's unbelievable what that does to your nostrils or your 
sure it like killed a lot of brain cells when I did that, right? You know, like, I mean, I'm very thankful for what it did, but I mean, I remember it was like wasabi and horseradish, like, like this huge, like, whoo, you know, and it, it opened my eyes, took my breath away, and it, and it hurt. It was painful. It was like, whoa. Like, uh, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I laughed about it too. Like, wow, oh my goodness, the person with me thought that was really funny that I did that. Like, are you an idiot? Like, well, I've never done it before. But I could see how that was helpful to a person. I could see how that would, if you're unconscious and they need to use that for some reason, they do that and, and it does. You know, it, it woke them up. Pastor Brad in this book says that God has given us his word to serve as smelling salts, to, to rouse us from the idolatrous coma that we live in so much of the time. We're, we're locked into our own idolatrous way of thinking and living until we pick up God's word and then, boom, smelling salts. It's the wake-up call that we needed. The windshield is clear. The, the rain is gone. There's, there's no more murkiness. We can look through the lens of Scripture, and, and now we see that we've been seeing things wrong. We've, we've missed what we thought we wanted, or what we did want, and we thought was a good thing, may have been a good thing, but we wanted it for the wrong reasons, or we wanted the wrong thing thinking it was the right thing, or whatever it was. God's Word clears that up for us. What's that song? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. It's a... Uh, That's what Scripture does. We see the truth of Scripture. We're convicted of how we've been trading the truth for a lie. God's Word brings us back to the Savior. It brings us back to the Gospel. Now, it may seem like what I'm saying is super simple. Hey, just read your Bible and it's all good. Uh, Like, I'm trying to simplify this to some kind of level, like, hey, no problem, just do your Bible, that's all you need, and we'll be healed. Well, I'm not. I hope it gets you excited that there is hope for all of the bad things I'm, I'm saying here, the misery that we can experience in life, but don't think that you're gonna leave today figuring out, all right, I'm gonna... I've got an idea what my idols are, or I'm going to go figure those out. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to repent of them, and tomorrow wake up anew, and I'm done. Whew, yeah, I got it. That's not going to happen. I wish it were that easy. I really do. That would make my life and the lives of all these other people that we like to one another with so much easier. But what we have to understand is that identifying idols, killing idols, is an ongoing battle. This side of glory, it's one of your jobs as a believer is to identify and kill idols. Root out what your heart is desiring more than God, repent of it, put it to death, serve Christ. And how does the gospel affect that? These idols are tough things. It's not a one and done. And as long as Christ has us here on earth, we will be waging these wars. This war, these battles. You know, this war isn't one with uh, grit and determination, a gun in one hand, a knife in the other, chewing on a cigar, jumping over foxholes, fighting these things. That imagery, most women don't like that imagery, and some men here don't either, of how to, that's what life is like. But rather, 
fighting these things are uh, fighting idols, going back to the gospel, looking to please and honor God. It's fought and won with the sword of the Spirit. God's word cuts to the quick of our heart, tears back the layers we've built up and laying bare our heart. God's word exposes what's going on so that that real change can happen. You know, we love techniques and principles to make things happen. I'm, I'm one of these people, I really like that. Like, all right, give me the seven steps to real change and, not, and I'll do it, all right? Um, you know, the world loves that too, right? You, you look at uh, 12-step programs or uh, the, what's the process Right, I'm going to take an online exam and then the, the way it explains what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to put those things into practice. And you know, Sometimes those have benefit. And sometimes you do see some type of change with those. Um, but they don't actually get to the heart of the problem. Right? We love to say, just tell me what to do. I'll do it and it'll get better. But we've got to make God's word our focus for the freedom of idols. We can't just follow a method or a process. We need to go into God's word. See, James 4, 1, 3 makes this clear, right? It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, which is another word for our desires, are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. Or you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what James is getting at there, one of the things, I don't know if you notice how prayer is tied in to this whole thing. I mentioned this earlier about how we pray for God to fix our issues and sometimes like it seems like nothing happens. So often we get frustrated by this and we think that God is against us it's not like we're asking for some horrible sinful thing we're just asking for respect from our spouse or children that are obedient or a job with stress that I can handle or a boss that understands or a co-worker that isn't so awful or a family member that isn't out to get me or what I think is out to get me. In these moments, we don't get the answer we want because so often what we're asking for is life to be easier. I don't want hard things in my life. I'm saying that honestly. I don't want hard things in my life. I don't want a hard life. I want life to be easy. I want my relationships to go well. I don't want conflict. I don't want to have to Discipline my children. I don't want to have to do these things, right? Or we pray these things because it will fulfill a desire to be respected instead of having to die to ourselves. There's all kinds of things that we pray for, that we want, that ultimately what we're doing are selfish requests. But the hard things in our life, God allows or brings into them to help us be like Christ, Are we able to go on living for God, serving him and pleasing him when our job is tough, our spouse is rude, our kids are foolish? If you think about the times when you've grown the most, 
when we get what we want, when life is good and everything goes our way, is that when we grow the most? If I'm honest, when life is going good and things are going my way, I don't give God much thought in those moments because I'm getting what I want. Life's happy. Life's easy. Why do I need God? That's what I'm thinking. I don't believe that, right? Um, but that's what we think. Or we just don't even think about God at all, right? That's, that's probably more likely as believers. It just doesn't enter our, our thoughts. And so those are, when those things, times are happening, beware. They don't last very long. Something's going to happen probably, right? God puts me and you through the ringer at times to show us that we are dependent on him. Those easy times are because God allowed them, and those are blessings, and we need to be thankful for those. But when we are in that moment, when things are good and we're not giving God much thought, as believers, we become functional atheists, right? We talk the good talk, but in the quiet, we're drifting away from God and toward our idols. Our sin can be traced back to idols in some way every time. Pastor Brad says that sin is what you do when you're chasing after something other than God, namely one of your idols. John Piper put it this way, that sin is what we do when we're not satisfied in God. Sounds like a very Piper quote, right? Idolatry is at center stage of my heart and your heart. He says that idolatry is nothing more than a metaphor for human craving, human yearning, greedy demands. Do you remember that list in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 where Paul makes this long list of sins um, and what he's saying is those that practice these sins won't get into heaven. And part of that list, he lists fornicators, there's unclean, uh, unclean people, um, he says covetous men. There at the end of a, or excuse me, at the end of that list, Ephesians 5, 5, he ends that with, nor covetous men, that's how he says that, who are idolaters. So even if we are craving something good, if we crave it more than God, he, God takes that very seriously. God is going to come after what is his. And you believers, that's you. He does that for his glory and for your good. Because you know, life is good without idols. Life is better when we're delighting in the gospel every day and loving Christ as our highest treasure. Life for us is better when we're focused on God and free from idols. This is just our first week on this topic, okay? You may hear this and go, I'm not coming back. This is awful. There's more to it. We got 13 weeks, so I got to spread this out, right? I'm, not, I'm kidding. We're going to use this book. But I don't want you to leave feeling hopeless or that this is an impossible task. It is not an impossible task. This is what every Christian on earth is to do. This is what we do. We have to change our thinking that it is not a chore to do this. We've got to have a better understanding that this is not a single lonely war. It's not uh, some type of unclimbable mountain that we can't reach the top. 
those God has called to himself, you as believers, he then gives you gifts. One being the Holy Spirit, one the Word. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is the local church to come alongside each of us, and we are to do the same with each other. In the coming weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this problem, have a better understanding. How does the gospel really affect these things? How, what, is this, what is the gospel in our daily life? How do we live it? How do we apply it? How do we remember it? How do we use it? How do we identify these idols and what do we do with them? How do we have victory? We're going to talk about all these things. So take heart. Come back next week, and we'll look more into hard idols and, and how we can cling to the gospel. Okay? Let me pray. Savior, Father, you have given us the gospel, and you have used it to take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh with new desires and new ways of living and thinking, taking hold and captive of our thoughts, the, the ability to do that and please you. Lord, your gospel found in your word changes our lives it is life to us. Lord, we thank you that we could talk about this topic, help us to think about our life. What are areas that we have drifted away from you? Help us to see where we are tempted to go our own way, to acknowledge and repent of it and turn back to you. Help us not to lose heart, to go um, rogue and try and do things on our own. Thank you for the, this local body of believers to help us with that. Uh, Lord, help us to be vulnerable, open, and honest with one another. And Lord, thank you that we can go out this week and we can spend time with family and friends. Help us to uh, take what we've learned and, and use it to bring honor to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.